I V M. everyone welcome to today's episode of marbles lost and found i'm avanti and i'm zain and today we have gitanjali palikar who is a child and adolescent therapist and we're talking today about mental health issues in children because a lot of us have this misconception that mental health issues really only happen to adults because yeah. children are untroubled and carefree and otherwise they just badly yes, behave. Yes, exactly. They're just badly behaved yeah. kids, yes. So you know what? I think rather than getting to a very specific question, let's mm. set the scene and let's set the record straight once and for all. What is your take on that opinion in the first place? To begin with, hi guys. Hi. hi. Yes. <laughs> um, so my opinion on whether there is mental health for children. Yeah, or or, or more just like if a, if a child is um, behaving in what is considered a quote unquote badly behaved way, he or she is just a badly behaved child. Full stop. Okay, so uh, I think in our school systems we rush to identify children who are perhaps not being well behaved mm-hmm. uh, because that's that interferes with the structure that the school sets up mm-hmm. but essentially very little attention is paid to the emotional well-being of children so when you say mental health let's first try to understand what the definition means mm-hmm. definition is primarily psychological emotional social well-being academic doesn't really figure in it <laughs> immediately right. yeah um, so I think you know the badly behaved uh, child is identified by someone who doesn't fit the framework that a school or a family structure establishes. Right. But very little attention is paid to why a child may be misbehaving. Uh, and is it really misbehaving? Because I, as someone who works with children, primarily feel that anything a child does is essentially them communicating to us. Right. There's a message in what they're trying to and just sure. so our listeners know, um, the children that you normally work with are between what ages, roughly? So, uh, I do therapy with children from the ages of two uh, up till late teens. Okay. And that surprises a lot of people. The first mm. question I have is, does a two-year-old, a three-year-old need therapy? Mm. But that will surprise us, you know, because they do. Because children, regardless of what age they are, they're human, they're individual, they have their own sense of self, they have their thoughts, they have their emotions. Right. So why do we deny or ignore the fact that emotionally they can be affected by something in their life as well? Mm-hmm. Right. Because do we just grow up suddenly, become an adult and suddenly have emotions and difficulties in coping with them? Mm-hmm. There's a very big component that we seem to ignore. If we have difficulties in our early 20s, let's mm-hmm. say, where do they stem from? Mm-hmm. If we know how to cope uh, very effectively with a challenging situation, where does that come from? From a childhood. Because just like we had to learn our algebra when we were in the fifth grade to get get better and, you know, do calculus when we reach college, we've had to learn something in our childhood when it comes to emotions so that we can efficiently make use of that when we enter adulthood. Right. So that is one of the major components I feel is ignored by people, you know, who manage them, like these the school, the families, the society at large. So to that end, when do parents typically come to you then? Or is it... At what stage of stress? Or or at what stage? Is it it because, in fact, and this is, is it possibly to do with, um, strictly to do with their child's behavior or does it also have to do with their... with their behavior with the child. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Nah. yeah. <laughs> Parenting is where yeah. it's at. Oh, yeah. parents. You want to okay. get into that? <laughs> oh, I'd love to. So, uh, what I have seen, there's a trend, right? Majority, like majority, 90% of the time, and I know 90 is just my assumption, a parent or a school will refer a child because he's not doing well academically. Mm-hmm. 
The first complaint is he's not doing work at school. She's not studying enough. She's not doing her homework. She's high potential, but her grades have fallen. Mm. I want them to do better. That's often the reason why they come to a therapist seeking help. And also, yes, the second, then as you discuss with them, the second thing that will come up is they don't listen to us. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, you know, they, you know, society tends to see children as these products who have to kind of be shaped as per the adult expectation. Mm. Right. And I feel academics is the last concern when it comes to a child's mental health. Because if my mind is chaotic, if I'm emotionally not feeling well, if I, my life is chaotic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If my life is chaotic, yeah. my my uh, emotional well-being is really not top-notch. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of chaos in my head. My internal state of mind is chaotic. I will not have headspace to bother about what the teacher is teaching in class. I will not bother about, you know, I won't, I won't find any motivation or a sense of achievement to do better or more with my academics. So how do you get to a point where you are able to communicate with these kids or they're able to communicate with you in whatever way tell you that, you know what, this is what's bothering me. How do they express themselves with you? Um, so it depends from age to age, right? So of course, if I'm seeing a child who's about two, three till about six, they're not very verbal. Mm-hmm. So with them, the medium is primarily play. So in play therapy, what happens is a child will engage in play. And my role as a therapist is to just observe and observe the play that they're doing. So I don't engage with them directly. I don't take part in the play unless they invite me to. And I don't talk about the play. So I, when I, I'm in session, I have some background information, history about the child. I understand how he may, he or she may be uh, behaving in the school or at home and what is problematic. So now when it's, so I have that background information. I also have an understanding that why it could be problematic based on, you know, what I, uh, inputs I have got from the parents. So when they're engaged in play, they are essentially playing out their internal state of mind. It's Play helps them bring the unconscious out into the conscious. Okay. And I'm there to make sense of it and interpret it back to them. Mm-hmm. So when I interpret it back to them, I'm essentially uh, communicating what they are communicating to me. And it's not something they're very aware of. They can't like, if I were to say it, like they might not understand it, but they also at an unconscious level understand what's happening. Right. Okay. Can you give us some examples? Sure. So, you know, for example, uh, Children will, if they are going through something, they, they, you know, for example, there's a kid, he is facing some challenge, like a moral challenge where suppose children are bullying him. Uh, he doesn't like it. He tells no, but he also feels they should not be doing this. So once he's, he's not necessarily reacting to them, but he also feels a sense of injustice where someone is getting away with bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And this child is six, let's mm-hmm. say, right? Mm-hmm. He comes into session and he spends his entire session and the next two sessions actually, playing with Legos, mm-hmm. where Legos become this big mountain heap and there's a truck which is, just keeps ramming into it. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Now, since I know his history, I've been working with him for a while, I know that this is his way of showing the mental, like the challenge that's in front of him, that mm-hmm. he's not able to overcome. The injustice he feels at being bullied and his struggle in, uh, in his inability to kind of assert himself. Mm-hmm. And I kind of reflect on that. Right. And he might not respond to what I am reflecting, but his play changes according to that. Okay. And I stay with him. I keep interpreting different play that he's doing. Okay, now the truck is doing this. The truck is helping this other truck. So a lot of that kind of moves around. Movement is happening. And so this particular child, then after one session, two sessions, depending on how long he needs to work through this internal dilemma for himself, 
will stop with this play and i know when he stops with this play he resolved it for himself right so i'm just a facilitator i'm not being directive i'm not being suggestive i'm not telling him right from wrong i'm not telling him how to fix his life right i'm actually just supporting him being there for him providing him the support to overcome his own challenges mm-hmm. because that's what therapy does mm-hmm. it creates a space where i can take away the mental chaos mm-hmm. by reflecting it back to them creating headspace for them to problem solve their own life situations So then when you are able to process these situations how do you then relay that to the parents is there as there I presume there may be situations where a parent turns around and says no 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 not my child or and and stuff like that and and, and I know of plenty of therapists in fact if I may say so Avanti yourself included where you've had uh, um younger clients but um uh they had to stop therapy because their parents didn't know and they turned around and said my child doesn't need therapy hmm. i'm glad you asked me that question can i just interject yeah please yeah. <laughs> so in my practice i have found one thing one very interesting pattern children who have stayed in therapy are essentially children who have agency parents recognizing that the child has agency now what is agency agency essentially means that i'm an individual i have my own thoughts feelings emotions capacity to have opinions Agency was not a word when we were growing no, up in the 90s. No. Definitely not. <laughs> What is agency? Individual wasn't a word. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Go play with the other kids. What's wrong with you? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um and a lot of a lot of Indian parents uh primarily feel that a child who's 2, who's 3, who's 5 need not have agency. They are dependent on us. They need us for support and safety. So automatically I need to call the shots in everything that they do. Not recognizing there's emotional agency as well mm-hmm. you are responsible for your child but the emotional agency is something they discount and what i found is parents who recognize that my child has that agency and give it to them those children stay in therapy through the entire process and just to clarify that does agency look like okay i'm going to be there for my child i'm going to you know give them the guidance and support or whatever i'm going to direct them in certain ways but i'm also going to recognize that they don't have to follow everything and they can throw a tantrum exactly. and they can be unhappy about exactly. something that i want them to be exactly. happy about exactly is the acknowledgement right. of the fact that they are unhappy that they're throwing a tantrum yeah giving agency acknowledgement does not mean that i accept or condone mm-hmm. my child's misbehavior mm-hmm. a lot of parents confuse it with that i've been asked questions you does that mean i have to allow them whatever they want mm-hmm. no i'll give an example for agency right you take a child for one of the superhero movies you step out and ask your child hey how did you find the movie and the child says hmm i didn't think it was really that great and the parent goes what you've been eating my brains for a month wanting to go for this movie and you didn't even like it mm. i bought the tickets before <laughs> what do you think the child understood from this right i, I have to like everything yeah. that my parents it doesn't matter what my opinion mm, is yes. i was meant to like it mm. but a parent who recognizes that their child has agency would have said hmm That's interesting. I like the movie, but even though you are a bigger fan for this uh, superhero, you didn't think it was great. Interesting. It's amazing how that example of the former dynamic that you gave just pertains to real life relationships mm-hmm. in adulthood and yeah, well beyond. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I did all of this. Why aren't you like, oh my god, you can just think of a number of different contexts in which yeah. that applies, you know? Yeah. It's incredible. So, a lot of children, a lot of children have discontinued who needed therapy. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think at whatever age they come in if not earlier is the right time because we have scope of you know working with them and possibly even preventing adverse effects being played out when they reach adulthood mm. but unfortunately you know you can't force someone to stay in therapy and no matter how what you say 
So what I've found is that parents, even though a child needs therapy, they will not recognize the need because there's another aspect of it that I would like to talk about as to how parents pay attention to the emotionality of a child. Now, if I, again, if one, I've not given them agency, I don't recognize that they have agency. The second aspect is if I just see them as an extension of me, Mm -hmm. right? They just have to follow through or do what I expect as an adult. You know, the old dicta that children must be seen, not heard. Mm -hmm. So that philosophy to a large extent So if a child does well in an exam, it's a reflection on me as a parent. Child wins a gold medal. Hey, I'm the parent. Right. So in that dynamic, I may not pay attention to what my child is feeling. You're making your child's achievements about you. Yes. And and vice versa. You're making your child's failures failures about you. Exactly. Right. Right. And that's got to impact the dynamic itself. I mean, as well, because if you're feeling resentment towards a child for failing, mm-hmm. they're going to sense it. Yeah. Yes. And you know what happens in such a scenario as well is the child recognizes unconsciously, of course, that my emotions or my emotional needs are secondary to the parent. Mm. Right. So they grow up believing that their needs or emotions are not important enough. And this child will turn into an adult who would basically not assert themselves Uh, be in situations where they will not have boundaries to kind of just protect their own emotional needs and or just be self-critical about themselves. If I may give an example. Yes, please. You have an adult, let's say he's an investment banker, doing well for himself, has a family, married, all of that. Mm. But he's unhappy. He is very self-critical about himself. He's very very critical about his children's achievements. The wife is unhappy because there is no emotional connection. Mm. She She's like, he, nothing makes him happy. He goes into therapy and in due course, there are a lot of, you know, childhood memories being spoken about. And there's this one particular memory that he re- relates to his, recounts to his therapist, that I was a student who would always get 90, 95% in my exams. In my 10th board, I got it 82. My parent was very upset with me. He said, this is unacceptable. How could you do this? Mm-hmm. You should. You must be ashamed, just as I'm ashamed of you. Mm-hmm. You have. You. This is. There is no excusing this, mm-hmm. right? Very regular reaction from a parent. You right. know, when a child hasn't done well. So the same thing. This guy thought. You know, hey, actually, my parent was justified. I didn't really do well. I deserved the scolding I got. Mm. What the parent missed was essentially an opportunity for emotional learning mm-hmm. that speaks to another approach that. I speak, uh, I kind of work with my parents in explaining is emotional attunement. Now, if the parent was emotionally attuned after having recognized that there's agency would have taught something to the child that they can use in the future, right? The first thing is saying instead, hey, you know, this is disappointing. I'm sure even you're disappointed, but let's look at what happened this year. Mm -hmm. Why did we get so less marks? And can we remedy it for the next time? Mm -hmm. Because it's, yes, it is one exam. It doesn't have to be every exam. Correct. Mm -hmm. What the parent did in this situation was acknowledge what the child may be feeling, the emotions, reflected it back to them, acknowledge their own feelings here, Mm -hmm. were observant enough to perhaps recognize what has been going on in the child's life. That, you know, they, that's why they did not attain the desired marks. Mm-hmm. Understood what their capabilities, the child's cognitive ability is, mm-hmm. knows that the child is capable of more. Use these observations and then emotionally responded to the child. Saying, hey, let's figure out what can be done next. Right? So now the child has learning 
on how to deal with uh, you know challenging situations mm. Mm. so he grows up to be someone who recognizes that he can be upset with himself for something mm. but also have a fair Uh, assessment. assessment of right. his capabilities because he got a very accurate feedback when he was a child mm-hmm. and then he knows that I can work on it right and so the thought or the belief that i am a failure doesn't come up exactly it's okay i failed at something exactly. i can do something else yeah so that's emotional learning that the foundation happens in early childhood you know imagine a house if the foundation is weak the house will get built and it'll have some structural damage which sure. you can't see mm-hmm. but when you know there's like a really bad storm rainy storm or something mm-hmm. that's when things start falling down mm-hmm. the same with us mm-hmm. if right. our emotions aren't really looked into when we are children we don't have a secure sense of who we are our emotions our emotional needs are not looked into i'm going to grow up to be someone who's not really going to do well in challenging situations mm-hmm. yeah most probably and actually i mean i i want to take away some of the stigma that i think or not stigma the feeling of i think self blame that's coming up or mm-hmm. blame towards up everyone's parents that mm-hmm. we, listeners or even some of us might be feeling mm-hmm. right now which is like oh you really could have done better yeah. <laughs> you could have like, responded to me <laughs> with emotional appropriate like, you know but i think uh, i guess what i'm saying is everyone goes through it like exactly. if nobody's everyone's parents are kind of winging it exactly. and responding in according to how they're feeling in their own exactly. lives so so here's the thing emotional yeah. neglect in a child can happen in the most loving mm-hmm. good homes with the most good enough parents mm. we're not talking about extreme circumstances mm. right it can happen in any household it could have happened in yours mine mm-hmm. or yours right. you know, it's just very generic in a way but it still is important yeah absolutely yeah. and self awareness is something that parents can start with mm-hmm. of recognizing that you know my child has agency and what they feel emotionally is something that's that needs to be looked into mm-hmm. and you feel that that the trend now giving children their agency really not making their actions or inactions about the parents and one is that are you seeing a trend like that now or is there a lot more ground to cover generally and i guess i'm talking very specifically about the indian urban yeah, of context course, yeah. of course if i may be honest i think uh, i see a very marginal proportion of the population i work with mm-hmm. where children have agency and i don't mean that they are dismissive of the children or they neglectful mm-hmm. they just perhaps don't recognize that this has any bearing on them right yeah i, I think even a very simple example that i remember seeing some time ago um is so i swim a uh-huh. lot a, a, as a way of exercise uh-huh. i remember there was this kid uh, so usually um later in the mornings is when there's um there's kids swimming lessons mm-hmm. and they are usually young they not more than like 6 or 7 at, mm-hmm. at the most and there was this young boy who just didn't want to get into the pool mm-hmm. and he was really just not throwing a tantrum but he was clearly he was crying he was saying no he was screaming a little bit he didn't want to go in the dad saying come on don't be a baby just get into the water just get into the water we're not going to do this other thing if you don't do the swimming right now mm. and you realize fine that's one can call that a tough love a harsh parenting mm-hmm. but then you don't understand what message you're actually giving the child you know so you connecting it with what i said earlier uh he may or may not be affected by it because every child is different sure. some children are perhaps their you know coping mechanisms or internally how they their world view is a little different but let's say this kid is someone who is lot more emotional and perhaps 
he processes this in a way that my father doesn't care about how I'm feeling right now. Mm. I'm scared and my my father is not paying attention to that. Uh, he's saying I, I have I'm I'm being a baby, so maybe something is wrong with me. Maybe mm. I am being not strong enough and I'm a failure for not having been able to do this. Right. But now my dad has also threatened in a way <laughs> that no if way. you don't do mm. this, you don't get that. Right. So what he's also learning is approval is conditional. Right. That if I have to be a certain way to get approval. Oof, I feel like there's so many things shooting through <laughs> my head right now in this episode. Wow. Um, well, I kind of want to sum up this episode by just sort of asking, and I think we've also very clearly touched upon this, but as a sort of general message to parents or people who are thinking to uh, thinking of becoming parents, what what is the one sort of um, thing that you'd suggest they keep in mind when it comes to raising their kids more than anything? Oh, that's a big question. It's a very loaded question, I know. <laughs> that they're individuals, yeah. capable of feeling. <laughs> So, uh, I think, you know, even the work that I do with parents, what I essentially tell them is that even at infancy, the bond that you have with your child, the way his, the child feels their needs are being fulfilled will have an impacting result on their worldview and how emotionally secure they grow up to be. Mm. I actually wanted to also ask, does it always have to be the parent? Or can it just be any caregiver? It's it could be a maid, it could be a grandparent. Primarily it could be, be mm. uh, a caregiver. Mm. But um, the unfortunate thing is, you know, that the caregivers, who are the non-parents, aren't the most ideal replacements. Because as an infant, or even as a toddler, my sense of self comes from my parents. Mm. And if I didn't have parents and I was with my grandparents, it would be a good enough substitute, but it would still also affect me to a large extent. But to have parents around and then be made to rely on other caregivers can negatively impact some children. Again, I'm not saying it's a perfect formula that if this is happening means you're emotionally dysfunctional when you Mm -hmm. grow up. Mm -hmm. You know, because a lot of traits are are intrinsic a child is born with. Right. So coming back to the earlier question... Let's let's call it the primary caregivers. Mm-hmm. So the, the kind of relationship a child has with their primary caregivers, you know, the early emotional needs, how soon or well are they well, uh, fulfilled? Mm-hmm. If the child feels secure about it, he feels, okay, this world is a trustworthy world mm-hmm. and I can be myself mm-hmm. because I'm being looked after. Right. Right. So that's something that has a very big impact on how a child grows up. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, as Avanti said, agency recognize that they're the individuals, recognize right. that they have their own will, they have their own emotions, opinions, that a two-year-old will want to decide, you know, what clothes to wear. Yeah. Mm. They want that choice. <laughs> and yes, it's, it looks... And it's not just pink for girls and blue for boys. <laughs> of course, yeah. Yeah. of course. Uh, and it might look like a tantrum, but essentially it is a tantrum because as the autonomy is growing... Mm. Are you allowing it or not? Yes. Mm. And the second thing is, they don't have the cognitive ability yet. Right. Right. So it turns into tantrum. Right. It looks like a tantrum to it, but essentially the brain is growing, but they also don't know how to use that. So that's where as an adult, you step in, you 
give them options you kind of be their guide or or i mean sorry just because of some of this is coming i mean i think some people may interpret some of this as oh are you just saying that i need to be super indulgent with my kid and give them everything right. they yeah. ask uh, for yeah. and i think that I, i'd like you to speak a little bit about that yeah, if you can. Sort of like, yeah. where does one draw the line between yeah. shaping a child's personality and just allowing them to discover themselves or just give them free reign you of know? course so uh It, I think everything kind of ties in together. You have to recognize your child has agency. Mm-hmm. You have to be emotionally in tune with your child, where you recognize the feelings they have. You understand where they're coming from. You understand what their cognitive ability is, how much they can do. Using that to respond to them, and the most important thing, limit setting. Mm. Well, because I think let's. Face it, you have to be the adult. Yes, yes. You cannot course. be the child. No, no, no. So it has to be these these yeah. three points that are listed out. Yeah. They have to work simultaneously right. because. when you limit setting is essentially discipline as they say right sure. what things are allowed not allowed mm. so those have to be very firm they have to be consistent mm. they you know the child needs to know if this if i break this limit what happens and also when limit setting has to follow natural consequences mm. consequences that are a direct result of a behavior mm-hmm. not like oh if you don't swim i don't give you ice cream mm-hmm. right, right there's absolutely yeah. no correlation mm-hmm. you're right, the correct. child is just going to feel a grudge mm-hmm. that i didn't get ice cream you're correct. a bad parent so correct. the consequence of that is if you don't swim you're not going to learn how to swim yes <laughs> so do you want exactly. that or do you not want that exactly right. all your friends are in class they are learning you're going to be left mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. it's that realization right mm-hmm. so again to answer your question so you what happens is parents feel that toddler very cute Mm. You know they don't understand. <laughs> they don't understand. Uh, you know they don't have language. Uh, they want something, so they will, you know, distract. You know, right. I have this question: Can I use distraction as a way of calming them down? Mm. But that's the thing: they might not have verbal skills, which is audible. But by the age of six months, if I'm not mistaken, a child's vocabulary is in hundreds. Okay. Eight hundred, if six, I'm not mistaken. Six months. Yes. That's the thing. Just because they're not verbalizing, it doesn't mean they don't they have don't the capacity. It. Exactly. Right. So they might not be able to verbalize it, but you have to work with them. So you give them limits. You repeat limits. You are consistent in enforcing the limits. Mm-hmm. And if the limits are broken, there's an understanding of natural consequences, and that is executed or applied by the third aspect that I said: the emotional entunement. Mm-hmm. You recognize how the child is feeling. You describe it back to them. Then you say. You state your own expectations. Mama said that Mama would like us to go in, to the park only in the evening. I would prefer that we don't go in the sun, mm. right? I've stated my expectation as a parent. Then I give them options. Mm. Would you like to do something in the kitchen or would you like to paint? Mm-hmm. Right? We redirect them. We don't distract them. We right. redirect them. Sounds right. so exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> so now what happens? What when I follow this these steps? What I'm essentially doing is. I am one removing some of the emotional chaos he's feeling mm. because he's been refused to go to the park mm. and I'm now giving him space to problem solve mm. by right. giving choices. Right. This is a learning for the long term because when he's next in a situation similar like this, he will use these problem solving skills. Mm. Yeah. One of the uh, crutches or traps parents fall into is trying to fix it for children. Mm. Fix it emotionally, f- do something that'll make them feel better quickly. Mm. or stop a bad behavior in the short term correct mm. corporal punishment basically mm. as an example even if they don't hit they yeah. might do something like if you make noise i will lock you up ah, right. a lot right. of Whatever. parents yeah. that sounds horrible yeah, yeah. so yeah. there are parents who do that yeah. so both of these are in the short term they don't really work right 
So essentially, just focus on your child's emotional needs, what they're feeling, reflect it back to them, state your own emotions, give options when you want compliance. And when there is no compliance, natural consequences. Fantastic. And I think that actually kind of sums up a lot of the things that we wanted mm-hmm. to talk about in this episode. This has actually been super it. insightful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gitanjali. <laughs> Child and adolescent therapist. Most welcome, guys. And <laughs> thanks Thank for having so me on. Yes, Thank you. it's been a pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm Zane. I'm Avanti. And we're Marbles Austin Found. We'll see you soon. Bye.